This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, shower heads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without my wonderful co-host, Andy Bailey, who is dealing with a massively sick family, just everybody across the board, kids, Shelby, his wife, everybody's sick, apparently. So we've called in the reinforcement of all enforcements, one of my good friends, a co-worker for almost a decade, who I've still never met in person, Bleacher Reports, Grant Hughes, favorite of the pod here. He was going to get pestered, even though he didn't know it, for our next round of when we started to do off-season previews when the playoff stuff calmed down. But he was kind enough to come on for this Friday night, late Friday night edition of the pod as we both are just watching Cleveland get de-fucking-stroyed by the Pacers in in Game 6. Just a massive disaster. We're here to give you some post-mortems of the teams that have actually been eliminated plus a quick preview of the Pelicans-Warriors series. Um, uh, if you want to, wow, I forgot about this, but if you want to follow Grant on Twitter, you need to do that. He's, he's a great follow when, when he tweets, at GT underscore Hughes, spelled exactly as it sounds. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Let me sneak that in there. We really appreciate uh, everyone leaving the comments. Um, also rating us that's the best way to help the pot at this point and it, it's always humbling to see what you guys think and just just to see those rating numbers go up in general but now we we get down to it and the question that everyone is dying to know before this pot even started how are you doing grant well thank you for asking and i would like to uh, be known as friend of the pod i feel like that's people say that on podcasts you know and they have recurring guests i'm going to be friend of the pod i feel like that's that's a good designation um, I'm great. Um, I'm digging the playoffs for sure. And, and I'm also, um, you mentioned the, the Cavs Pacers thing. Um, like, can we talk about how this series is going to go seven? Um, but like, it really should have been over in like five in Indiana's favor. Cause the, the Cavs have a couple three point wins where if LeBron is like less than, uh, like a superhero, they lose both. Like, I, I mean, so short, short summation, um, Cleveland cannot win a title, right? Like, no way. There's no way. They should have been done. No, they're not. That I think that was clear before the playoffs started. I'm still just, I've entered this cruise control mode, maybe much like the Cavaliers defense, where I just pick LeBron because until he proves to be a bad bet, and it wouldn't surprise yeah. me to see them win 
Game 7, it wouldn't surprise me to see them beat the Raptors in Round 2. It wouldn't surprise me to see them get to the NBA Finals. Once they get there, whether it's the Rockets or the Warriors, I'm honestly wondering if they even push it to 5. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I'm kind of that way too, just because you know you. It's like the Spurs thing to, in some ways, where it's like, are the Spurs done? Are the Spurs done? It's like, well, no, and then they just make the playoffs again. But yeah, you you ride with LeBron until it just doesn't work. But it, like it, we passed the point where it should not have worked. This series should have been over. Um, and and Indiana's fine, but Indiana's not good. They're not a, a good playoff team. Um, so yeah, I. I this is it. I mean, and I don't know. I it, it's it's gonna be fascinating when you guys do the post mortem for Cleveland because I mean, all those questions are gonna be. There's gonna be a million really good questions, but we're not we're not here to talk about the Cavs, are we? No, it's gonna be so weird if it ends up being the the post mortem after round one. That's something. Even when the Cavs were rock bottom, I don't think anyone saw. And they've been no. Tyron Lue's been terrible. I'm like I'm done with the starting lineup with Jose Calderon, and I don't know why he keeps. Not only has he started, but he rolls with it for forever. Uh, Kevin Love has been awful. He's also been like mutilated in the series. I feel like he's on the ground every other possession. I'm kind of tired of of people treating Lance Stevenson like a hero when he's actually a, seems like a pretty bad human being. But yeah, as- well, we for, do we forget about this? Like the the girlfriend stairwell thing, like that. I, I mean, that's like 2010. But like he he's not a good person. He's <laughs> like I don't like this cult hero thing at all for him. Right. Like I get. I get the gifts or the joking tweets, but like to exalt him in any way as just I, I just it makes me feel really uncomfortable, and I feel bad for uh, NBA Twitter's uh, women who have to deal with it because I'm sure they have uncomfortable and complicated feelings about it all, and just to see him portrayed uh, as more yeah. than just this giant like scumbaggy goofball, uh, I couldn't even imagine it from their perspective. Talk about right. an opening digression, though. <laughs> um, I think we should start, before we get to the sort of just looking at the futures of the teams that have been eliminated since we last recorded, a Warriors-Pelicans preview. Um, the only update, really, is that Stephen Curry for this series is that Stephen Curry has been a full participant in practice the past couple of days. He's questionable for Game 1 at this recording. A lot of people have been impressed with the Pelicans as they should be. I had Blazers in seven through the first round and they were swept in four. Anthony Davis, spectacular. Drew Holiday has been a monster on defense all season and his offense has really come along since DeMarcus Cousins injury. They've been impressive before kind of, and you can delve into whatever specifics you want. How do you actually see this series unfolding though because I have an immense respect for what the Pelicans have done even the coaching job Alvin Gentry has been able to do now that the Pelicans kind of resemble the team that he was brought in to coach in the first place and then never really had the opportunity to build I I just I really have a tough time seeing it going beyond five maybe if they steal game one because Curry doesn't play or they just catch the Warriors off guard maybe Curry plays and is rusty perhaps it gets to six but that feels ambitious or at the very most like their ceiling in this series i mean to me uh i mean like first of all with regard to to how the pelicans have looked um i just think it's a it's the best recent example of sort of what happens when a real legit no questions asked superstar kind of hits you know or reaches potential or, or whatever which is what anthony davis has done and then it's like there's, it just such has an it has such an organizing effect on everything around him. So Anthony Davis is like the sun that just 
its gravitational field just like sucks in all the planets and puts them in the right spot and all the orbits are perfect now, which like just couldn't have happened before. So Gentry looks like a good coach all of a sudden. Rajon Rondo's like, oh shit, this team's good. I'm going to try now. Drew Holiday is free to, to be the best version of himself. And so like, that's just, that's just what happens when a superstar sort of comes to, comes into his own. Um, but with all that said, yeah, I, I'm not sold on the Pelicans as like this, this wrecking ball. Um, but to me, the, I, I viewed this Warrior season with like a certain sense of detachment um, th- throughout the whole thing um, because they've, they clearly weren't giving full effort. They clearly were tired all year. Um, they'd give you like two or three minutes here or there of what they could do at, at like max capacity. Um, and, and then so, so it's like I was just sort of waiting to see like, okay, are they going to you know, sort of find it? Um, or flip the switch. Flip the switch gets super over years, overused, but but that's what I was waiting for. And then I was just kind of like not invested until I saw that happen. Because who cares what's happening in November, in December, in January, February? It doesn't matter. Um, but so now um, I'm still a little bit detached because anything is on the table for them, dependent entirely on Steph Curry. Um, and so it's awesome that he's you know he's going to play in this series. I think we could say for sure. Probably will play game one. I would say if not, that definitely game two. Um, but to me, I need to see what he looks like. Um, if he's on the floor, I'm sort of halfway there to believing the Warriors can be the best team again and win this series in, in four, five, six max. Um, but if he's out there and he looks like the guy that had the sprained MCL and came back against the Cavs a couple years ago and just wasn't himself, um, the Warriors can be beat. And, and the Pelicans aren't great, but the Pelicans could beat them. Um, I, I think that is on the table. Um, it all depends on if Steph Curry plays and if he plays sort of what version of him shows up. So that's not a good prediction because I'm saying like, I don't know, fl- roll the dice. Like, let me know who's going to play and how they look and then I'll tell you what I think. Um, but I do think it's, I really do believe anything's on the table. I, I think, I don't know what I would bet on, but I think we need to not discount the fact that the Warriors are very, very gettable um, if Curry's not out there playing, you know, really close to his his peak. It was kind of funny how everyone seemed concerned about the Warriors' defense when you just knew that, particularly Draymond Green, that he was just going to turn it on once the playoffs started. And you go from watching what the Warriors would try and do or general disinterest and even getting back in transition after missed shots uh, or even after turnovers during the regular season. And even him just not, doesn't seem like as crisp when he was moving around the rim. And now it just seems like he's everywhere. Like he's just disapparating in out of thin air and making stops um, at the rim, just b- basically everywhere. And, and that's what's, I think, big to the point where they don't necessarily need Curry or even Curry to be close to his best to beat the Pelicans. Their offense is just so weird. And a lot of people have said this, that Kevin Durant didn't elevate the offensive ceiling. He higher its floor like yeah in the sense that you can survive without curry but you still you watch them and and the offense just doesn't run the same when he's not playing he just has as you alluded to just that magnetic pull i i just don't even if he's not let's say he misses game one or even if he just doesn't play well i just i still find it really hard to imagine the Pelicans winning this series. And, you know, what are the defensive matchups look like? We know Anthony Davis will probably spend the most time on Draymond Green. That was how it looked during the regular season anyway. Uh, the Warriors averaged 
1.1 points per possession as a team when Anthony Davis guarded Draymond Green during the regular season. Drew Holiday actually had more success against Kevin Durant. And that's the other thing. He guarded Kevin Durant. This is the regular season matchups. He played in um, all three games against the, or three of the four games. Did they play each other four times this year or three? I can't remember. It was, it was four. I think the Warriors won three out of four. Yeah. I think. Drew Holiday defended Kevin Durant more than anyone on the Pelicans, and he defended Stephen Curry the second most of anyone on the Pelicans. You, you talk about a dude that has to be all over the place on defense. Um, the thing I was surprised to find out that I looked up just before the pod uh, was that the Warriors were averaging less than .95 points per possession when, as a team when Drew Holiday guarded Kevin Durant. That's really interesting to me, to see if maybe the Pelicans' defense can do something to the Warriors' offense, particularly if uh, Stephen Curry isn't at his best. Uh, Solomon Hill, having him, maybe that helps a little bit. I don't know if you use him on Kevin Durant. Do you use him on Clay Thompson so that you don't have Etwan Moore kind of giving up size there? Uh, Clay kind of just destroyed him during those regular season matchups. I, I just, for me, my, my pick would be Warriors in five, regardless almost of what happens with Stephen Curry. And that, I might, like be, it. that might be subject to change depending on what Because ha- game one's kind of a wild card, right? The Warriors haven't played. Uh, neither of these teams have played in a little bit. If Stephen Curry comes back, he could be rusty. You steal game one if you're the Pelicans. It opens things up. But I'm Warriors in five no matter what. I'm, I'm team Warriors in five. Yeah, I think gun to my head, I don't see the Warriors losing the series. In terms of the number of games, I just, I really don't know. I mean, if it goes, it's it sort of needs to be five or seven um, for that reason. Because, well, I don't know, they could win it in six on the road too. Um, but yeah, the defensive matchups are, are interesting because, I, I, yeah, I mean, Holiday did have some success against Durant. But like what you saw a lot of in the, in the Spurs series was, you know, the Warriors were really really good about exploiting any kind of switching. Um, and then you get Durant at the elbow with someone, you know, Patty Mills had no chance, um, but and Holiday's bigger and a much better defender than Mills is, but he's still, a, I mean, he's a guard trying to trying to handle a seven-footer that's already 15 feet away from the basket. Um, I mean, there's definitely, like, high floor points to be gotten there. It's sort of like the idea of what Carmelo Anthony was uh, at, in his prime is, like, you could he could get you a shot. Um, and Duran is obviously better at that than Melo ever was, really. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Pelicans are sort of just a defender short because you know where's Rondo going to be? Uh, is he going to guard Curry? Is he going to car- chase Clay Thompson around and definitely get lost and, and turn his head and and be disengaged? I mean, is Etwan Moore going to? Who? It, it's they don't have enough. You know, they haven't really had any wing play at all. They've, their best units, I think, have generally been smaller with with at least two guards, you know, two point-ish guards or three even. Um, so I, the Pelicans are definitely short on personnel. Um, I mean, literally in some, in some senses, <laughs> um, but, but they, they just don't have the bodies. I don't think um, if they dust off Solomon Hill and think he's going to be the guy that handles Duran, I think that's, you know, that's going to get sorted out pretty quickly. Um, but, I, but it is, you know, you flip it and you're like, well, is JaVale McGee going to start on Anthony Davis? Is that really what we're going to do? Um, it, are you going to use uh, Draymond Green on him? Or, 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 or what do you, is Durant going to, I mean, really, realistically, you know, when it comes down to it, the Warriors are going to have several bodies uh, all over Davis. And I, I guarantee you they will uh, force Rondo to make jump shots and they'll force, you know, whoever else is on the floor, if Darius Miller gets out there or whatever. 
Um, Miritich is a problem. Uh, I guess I didn't even think about him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the matchups, especially with the backcourt situation in terms of, you know, the Warriors are potentially going to have three guys that you need an elite defender on. And, and I think at most the, the Pelicans have one of those guys. So, so that's, you know, where the series really could swing if Curry is as dangerous as he can be. I looked this up while you were talking because we both mentioned Etuan Moore. Do you know, uh, and I, I know we're probably getting too nuanced here, but when Etuan Moore defended Clay Thompson during the regular season, uh, he played all four games, so that's not surprising, than anyone on the Pelicans, the Warriors averaged 1.31 points per possession as a team. On the yeah, well, let him up. That's just, that's just absolutely nuts. One of the things the Pelicans might be able to do, and I, I don't know if this is, this is probably a bad thing, is that they'll force the Warriors to rely on playing small. For larger portions of the game just we've seen what we can assume that Draymond Green's going to be all over Anthony Davis but you don't want to have you know J- JaVal McGee um into space with Miritich who's just who de- he killed the Blazers bigs uh even Zach Collins who's been okay in space this year during that series and you look at that and it's like oh okay but the Warriors just have the personnel you just look at all the potential edges and the Warriors have the personnel to solve it and I think that's why I'm just so so down on this series and the Pelicans postmortem is going to be interesting too. I don't, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and say they're just going to get creamed, but just because of the Boogie Cousins situation, it's, I, this is, maybe this series will be fun and I hope it is. I'm a fan of competitive series. I just, I feel like the Warriors have a counter at pretty much every turn for the best things that the Pelicans can do. The New Orleans is best hope to me to pushing it to six would be Drew Holiday continuing to defend out of his mind. And then you need Anthony Davis to be superhuman, but then you need guys like Rondo and even Solomon Hill. If you're going to play him for his defense, they need to make these wide open threes. Yeah, definitely. And and I do think just one, one sort of, uh, I don't know, seemingly uh, unimportant prediction, but I think Kevon Looney is going to play a lot in this series. I mean, he played more than I would have expected in the first round and Kerr, Kerr really trusts him. Um, I think Jordan Bell is, you know, talk about a higher ceiling. I mean, Bell has the capacity to just, really electrify the defense and be a lob threat on offense and just do all the switching that they want. But he's kind of, he's just not in it play to play like Looney is. Looney's a really smart player and certainly athletically limited, but Kerr really trusts him to switch everything. And so if you're going to have Miritich spacing and you're going to have Davis at the five, I think that's probably going to take McGee off the floor a lot. Um, And so I think Looney is someone that you're also going to see, um, on Davis a lot as a primary defender because I I think you probably can't put him on Miritich and expect him to cover the ground to help and recover like Green could. Um, so oddly, I think that's you know this this guy who the Warriors I think did not uh, didn't pick up his option. Like he's basically going to be gone after this year um, as a third year guy. Um, he's going to be a real swing player in the series. I can't believe that we've reached the point where you just say Kevon Looney is going to be a I'm telling you. in the second round playoff series. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, th- I really believe that. I, I guess it, you're right. He did play more against the Spurs than I expected. I wasn't sure if that was just, but I don't know, Steve Kerr just like knew it was the Spurs. They don't have Kawhi. Like he's just going to give different guys run. But that that's interesting, and it, w- it would make sense to do that i wouldn't mind i'm more of jordan bell would be i'm a bit i wanted them to put him in the starting lineup when they when they threw mcgee in there instead. me too i get that he's a me rookie too. but uh so your pick would be the warriors and if you had uh, i forced you to pick can i say like five and a half i don't want to pick five since you picked five um, i think uh you could I'll say warriors in three 
<laughs> yeah, three. I'll just take six. I'll say they'll win it on the road. Like Curry will not play game one, and let's say the Warriors lose that somehow or something. I'll just say six, and I would comfortably take the under, but I don't want to say five since since that's what you said. Do you think Curry's going to play game one? I feel like he's angling really hard to do that. Um, I mean, he probably would have played game one of the first round series if they let him. Well, right, yeah. He he's definitely always he he he's come back too early from almost everything he's ever had. Um, so so thinking of it in those terms, like yes, he will play game one because he probably shouldn't. <laughs> are you of Are you a fan of the just hold him out until you lose type of scenario or no? Do you not really? Oh like man, it? that's interesting. I don't know. I I think that's potentially dangerous because like if he's gonna be back, you want to you want to know what he's gonna be able to give you. That's true. Where so like if you wait till you lose and then you bring him in and you expect like okay fix fix us now and he just can't then I don't know what your like counter to that counter is you're just you're just out of luck at that point. Um. Well, we both have the Warriors. That's not a surprise. That'll be. I, I, I am interested to see the series. I'm just not. Everyone's yeah. talking about whether the Pelicans can pull off the upset. I, I'm not. I'm not there yet with this team. And now we move on to the Cavaliers postmortem. I'm really only kidding. We might as well though because they just look kaput. That game that game 6 was just disgusting. The Pacers played yeah. like the Cavaliers spoiled the ending to Infinity War for them. They looked they looked <laughs> pissed the entire game. Um where do you want to start with do you have any preference where we go with the postmortems? Uh let's see who got bounced first. Let's just go in order. The Spurs or uh, I guess the the Blazers, right? They're the only team that got swept. Did we you guys actually, do them already? Yeah, we tackled them. So that would okay, be the cool. Spurs. Yeah, let's do the Spurs. Um, Kawhi Leonard? Question mark. We, I guess like, Andy and I have talked about it too much because every pod, when we try and catch up on news, there's always a Kawhi Leonard update. And today there was a report from the Daily News that Kawhi Leonard wants Greg Popovich to change some things. This was a rival executive talking to Frank Cazola of the New York Daily News. One of the things he wanted Popovich to change was the intensity of practice or something, which is just absolutely ridiculous because, one, Kawhi Leonard's the guy who didn't take the NBA finals trophy in 2014 on like a ceremonial tour when he got it, because he said his training schedule was too busy that it just sat in his house basically. And the Spurs are one of the, this is per their beat reporters since I don't cover the Spurs, but they're one of the teams. And this doesn't surprise me that just don't practice much throughout the regular season. There are some squads like having been with the nets. I know that they do practice a lot because you're dealing with a bunch of new players every year. You're also trying to install a system and a culture. So you're, you're trying to get that hammered in and you care more about that than wins, which is probably why you see that team monitor everyone's minutes so tightly throughout the year. But I just, I don't, I'm at the point. I still said that Kawhi Leonard will be on the Spurs next year. I don't feel good about that, but that's just where I'm at. And I'm wondering from someone now who's outside because Andy and I have gone back and forth in this so much. What did, what do you make of this and what do you think is ultimately going to be the outcome? Well, so yeah, I mean, definitely something doesn't smell right. Like something something's weird with Leonard. I think we're learning that um well, first of all, his injury from everything that I've read is like a serious thing and it's sort of a mercurial type of injury that like just takes forever to get better and if you don't let it get better, you can rupture the tendon and and, and all that stuff. So that, I mean, the real, like, you know, the, the less narrative driven reasons for his absence, I think are legitimate. Um, but I think personality wise, it's sort of just starting to feel like maybe there's, maybe this guy isn't just the quiet, um, you know, robotic dude. I think he kind of wants 
I don't know. There's just more going on there that I, I can't presume to understand. And it makes me uncomfortable um, because <laughs> if you can't, if you can't sort of go along to get along in San Antonio, I'm not totally sure where else you could do that. Um, but so to me, it's kind of the way I'm looking at it is, is just really like overly simplistic. If, if they offer him the Supermax extension, um, he will stay. Um, but I don't know how comfortable I'd be doing that if I'm the Spurs because of all that's gone on this year. Um, and if they don't, I think he probably will be gone. Uh, so, but everyone that's ever been offered that takes it. Um, and it's a huge commitment. And if there's ever been a team that I think would believe in themselves and their culture and their ability to find talent that can help them win and, that doesn't rock the boat like this and say, screw it. We're not going to um, invest $219 million in you. Um, I could see that happening. So, so yeah, like this is another cop out answer for sure. But, but I really just think it's as simple as do they offer the, him this extension or don't they? And then based on that, he'll be there or he won't. Um, but this is a mess. And I just hate that uh it's happening to San Antonio. And I just, I, I, I like thinking of them as this unassailable, you know, per, like utopia of basketball. And I think um, the way that this has gone with Leonard sort of cracks the facade for me. How do you give him the DPE though? Because I, it, it, I don't, the, the, yeah. can I just say that? I don't. After appearing in not, you know, you look at what you talk about Russell Westbrook getting it. You talk about, the decision for the Kings to trade DeMarcus Cousins rather than give him it. Kind of the Bulls did the same thing with Jimmy Butler. You understand those decisions, but looking just at like the resume from this or the resumes, Kawhi Leonard's is objectively the riskiest situation because he's appeared in nine games and to, this yeah. year. And to give him that money when, as you alluded to with his injury, I've read things that have said it could be like this degenerative disease type of right. thing. It is a disease, right? It's yeah. not like a strain. It's a, it, it is a it is an actual condition that like just sort of is there and can just continue to get worse. At the same time, and the other thing that makes me uneasy is just you have Popovich emphasizing his group in interviews. You have Tony Parker. I, I thought the thing about the injuries was ridiculous because everyone's bodies are different, and you can't just say right. you came back from the same injury. He could have it worse. But Manu even kind of just hinting at like his his shots were way more veiled than Tony Parker's it's just yeah. also very unsettling i ultimately don't think they're going to give him the designated player extension because they've or maybe they will because you know what i didn't think they were going to sign Pau Gasol to that terrible of a deal last summer i didn't think they were yeah. going to extend LaMarcus Aldridge and they did that you but you screw yourself for the next 6 years really if he comes back next year and he's just not himself that's i wouldn't give it to him and if they don't give it to him I guess he could request out, but I'm, is he that player? And maybe he is if he's really disconnected himself from the franchise. But I think even if they don't give it to him, he'll just be back. Maybe I have too much faith in the Spurs still. But if Greg Popovich is going to lead the reconciliation charge, it's it's tough for me to imagine Leonard not being back regardless of what happens with his contract. Well, I mean, and then you mentioned Popovich, you know, like how sure are we that he's, you know, how sure are we that he'll that he's going to be back? That's that's a whole yeah. other thing. Um, I just think that I mean, I don't even know what kind of timeline I'd put on Leonard sort of not being on the Spurs. I don't I don't know that I'd say like oh they're trading him the second that they put that offer on the table and he turns or the the second they make clear to him that we're not going to offer this or he says max or nothing or it, but just like in terms of long term future, um, 
I just don't think I, I feel like something's kind of broken. Um, and there's enough sort of in a more macro sense that is changing about the Spurs. You know, Parker, his contract's up. What's going to happen there? Ginobili, I have to assume he's going to retire. Um, no, I pray he why? I pray, he, I pray he does not. Um, I'm looking at my candlelight vigil I have set up right now in my office uh, trying to do like some uh, pray, praying to anyone I can that will listen to have him not retire. But there's there's like a real shift happening for the Spurs um, and it feels like Leonard uh, could just be part of it, you know? Uh, yeah, I and I'm at the point where I went, nor, you know, three months ago, four months ago, I might have argued with you, and I can't because it just I have no idea. And me saying that he's going to be back in San Antonio, I don't feel the least bit confident in saying that anymore. The Spurs, their overall offseason, if you know, trading Leonard's a different story. That you have to go into. Are they going to try and? Do a rebuild if they move him? My guess would be no, just because they've seen what Lone Wolf LaMarcus Aldridge can do, and you're paying him all that money, unless you're going to try and move him too, which could be tough in this year's NBA, uh, in today's NBA, excuse me. You also have Powell's deal. They don't really have cap space when you're looking at all their player options, guys with qualifying offers for restricted free agency, Bryn Forbes, Davis Bertans. Uh, I kind of, they could get cap space if, if, you know, Green and Gay opt out and they renounce them. You could also look at moving Patty Mills' deal, which is something I've outlined. There, there's a path if you really want to go for it to get cap space this summer. I don't think they explore it. I think yeah. They- why do why do you want cap space this summer? I mean, it's there's just not there's a bunch of other teams dubious restricted free agents out there. Like I'm I'm not I'm I don't know if you know I, there's not there's not a lot out there that I that I'm interested in if I'm them. I think you know they're going to look at it this if if they were to go that way. I think you look at it like a lot of teams are, and they're going to say, "Screw it, I'm going to wait till 2019." Um, unless, unless you think they're going to go get Chris Paul or, or whatever, you know. I thought they were going to get Chris Paul last summer, to be honest with you. Which is why, <laughs> when Powell opted out, I was like, "Chris Paul going to San Antonio." <laughs> but yeah, the thing with them is that they're not really well set up to get cap space now or even in 2019 because I don't think. Yeah. And this is what I wanted to go through really quickly because I don't want to spend. Uh, ultimately, they're probably not going to change much unless they trade Kawhi Leonard. But I kind of wanted to go through these players, uh, and you just give me short answers on whether you think they're going to be back in San Antonio. Tony Parker, just an unrestricted free agent. He was in the last year of his deal. So I think I had to write a prediction on this, or like a bold prediction, and I said he was going to this. He's done in the NBA. He's going to go play his last two years in that for that French team that he owns. Um, I think. I think he might be back, but if he is, it's he's not going to be making more than. I mean, he's going to make a third of what he made this year. Um, if that, he should be yeah, Warren's minimum. Right, he's just not. A, he's not like even a second stringer at this point anymore. Um, Danny Green is the most interesting free agent they have to me. Well, him and Kyle Anderson. I love me some slow mo, but Danny Green player <laughs> option for ten million dollars, and you wrote about this too. I remember reading. And in any other year, he'd probably just decline it and then go out and get twelve or fifteen million dollars a year. It's not going to be that way this year. There are only nine teams that can have significant cap space, and a few of them aren't going to be at a point in their rebuild, their development, their whatever, where they can go out and say, hey, I'm going to pay 30-year-old Danny Green, who actually turns 30. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, he. You know, I still think there's a decent chance – he could just say, "Well, I'll just take the mid-level, um, and you know, twenty-six-ish million bucks over three years or something." And, you know, that's that's the math is decent on that for turning down ten. Um, but it's he's emblematic of 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 how the market's going to be. Like maybe he just takes that ten. I don't know. 
Um, if he takes think, that ten, DeAndre Jordan needs to opt the hell into his contract. Oh, that's an well. We, we could have done the Clippers post mortem a long time ago, but, <laughs> but I think I've I've kind of flip flopped on this all all year. But I think Jordan's going to opt in. I, I think he's going to opt in, and they're going to just try to trade him because um, he's smart. not going to. I don't know if he's going to recoup that. You know, he could get a, a crappy deal for like three or four years, but he's definitely not going to get average annual value of what he what it he would can take get him if he at least opts two in. Seasons to get that money back. I agree. Um, so Danny Green, do you think he's back? Do you think he, you don't think he's going to opt out? That's what, that was your verdict? Yeah, I don't think so. It's tough though. Rudy Gay was someone, I didn't view him in the similar light as Danny Green at the start of the season, but I thought, you know, given his age, the fact that he played pretty well after the Achilles tear, would he go out and even try and get like, you know, three years at the full taxpayer mid-level because then you double up basically what you were supposed to get, um, this year? Do you think he, $8.8 million player option, do you think he picks it up, pops out? I think he's going to – I would opt out if I were him for, for the reasons you said. I think you can go get – you can count on the taxpayer, um, and, and I think you know realistically he could wind up with a team that has a better chance to contend than the Spurs will next year. So I think there's a there's a really good chance that he's gone. I agree with you there. Matt Ginobili, we already know your thoughts. You broke my heart. He has 2.5 <laughs> – yeah, he's owed $2.5 million. Did you see what Steve Kerr said to him after game five? No, what did he say? He, he was just talking about how he had recently met Rob – uh, Roger Federer and how it remind Ginobili him of Ginobili he was like if you if you still love it keep playing what the hell and he just literally said what the hell and I was just like <laughs> I, I love you Steve Kerr I'm not ready yeah. for an NBA without Manu the dude won oh. game four for them he look I'm I'm on my wall in my office right now I'm looking at his Argentina jersey so like I'm not ready for anything without Ginobili um I just feel like you know, he's made some comments about how, like, this season was somehow emotionally fulfilling, and I guess, you know, you can spin it that way. But, like, I don't know, man. He's 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 so old, and I just – I just – I mean, we thought he was going to retire, like, every offseason for the last three, right? And he just keeps coming back. Um, at some point, it's going to end. I, I think – I just kind of I got a feeling, um, and I hope I'm wrong. I just I think he's I think he's 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 done. If the Spurs were like going to come back next year and be just a one title contenders again, um, then it's different. But I just don't see a way that that's possibly going to be the case. Yeah, I I think he's going to come back, and the fact that I'm saying that is now making me think that he won't because I, I felt the same thing like for Tim Duncan after that Thunder yeah. series, then he just retired. Uh, just imagine Ginobili's last game was played when Popovich couldn't coach it, when Kawhi Leonard was in his New York hotel, like binge watching Liam Neeson movies, and when the Spurs got bounced in five games in the first round. That just feels like such a unbefitting end for him, and maybe that's why I think he's going to come back. And the other part is you watch him, and I, I know you said he's a million years old, but he might he's probably like the, the second fastest player on the Spurs. That, that's really not saying much, but he's just he's still all over the place and I watch him. I I'm not ready for it. I'm just not ready for it. So I, I'm gonna refuse to believe it until he, he says that he's not coming back. I hope you're right. I really do. Um I wanna skip Anderson because I think he's the most interesting one. Um Laverne, he's player option for one point seven. He probably Oh, he's picking that. He's yeah. picking that up for sure. I'm not sure. sure he would get an NBA contract. Agree. Um, Brandon Paul, non guaranteed until August at 1.4. You keep him around, right? Yeah, I, I would. Uh, if only because you get to see someone wear the number three with Paul on the back and aspersions. <laughs> Chris Paul, um, Davis Bertans, restricted free agent. They're gonna they'll make both him and Forbes restricted free agents. 
uh, early bird restricted free agents, I believe. Do you think he's back? Yeah, I do. I think um, he's one of those guys that I think gradually um, is is going to, you know, is he, he could be, I, would it shock you if he was playing 25, 27 minutes a game next year for them? I mean, better him than Pau Gasol at this point. I, I feel like that's Pau's what I mean. Just like, given up on defensive rebounding, it's just it's, not he's it, over it. It's the slow developmental curve of the Spurs, um, where I just think that he could potentially be a guy that is a real big minute rotation player, and I think the Spurs appreciate that about him. So I, I, I would, and you know, this is the other thing we'll talk about this. For, I'm sure you and Andy have talked about this for every team. It's like there just aren't a lot of teams out there with money to to put forth offer sheets that are going to yeah. be, you know, like that are going to knock these dudes over and be like, Oh, I've, yes, Chicago bulls. I, w- I will come play. You know, it's just like, um, <laughs> he's also I, at a I, weird age, you know, he'll be yeah. about 26 when next year starts. Yep. Yeah. You're I, so I think I, I would default to him and Forbes are, are going to be back. Um, just because I think the Spurs value the, the investment that they've made in them. And I don't think there's going to be huge offers that dissuade them from, from keeping them. I, I like Bertrand a lot. He's a lot quicker than people give him credit for. It'd be nice if he could rebound himself, but if he's right. not going, at least with, you know, as a pro, he can be a high volume three point shooter where Powell, he might be fine in modest volume, but I'd rather see him uh, just a little bit more mobile defensively. He's actually an understated passer, too. That was something I liked. And he gets these, like, random, just his help, his, like, random help defense around the rim or random swats. I'm, I'm a big Bertans fan. Forbes is more interesting to me. I could see him being back, too, but I could also see it kind of depending on. And again, it comes back. Maybe they're not going to get more than close to the minimum salary in this market anyway, but maybe it's tied to Tony Parker a little bit. Like if he doesn't come back, then you have a bigger need for Forbes. If he does come back and you're kind of interested in playing Derek White a little bit more next year, maybe you don't have as big of a need for Forbes. But Forbes was just another guy who was, I mean, they played him. He, he was, he was solid. Yeah. The Spurs team was just, it was not the typical Spurs team, but they were missing a top five player and they, they still flirted with that 50 win mark. And, and he was a guy that got actual minutes. I, th- I think he, what did he average this year? It was like almost 15 minutes a game. Oh, it was 19. It was almost 20. So uh, shot 39% from three. I, I could definitely see him being back, but I, I do wonder if they have any like faith in Derek white. And then if Parker comes back, maybe that decides it a little bit. Yeah. I think just, I, you have more thoughts on Forbes than I do. Um, I, I think <laughs> one thing that was really apparent um, is, is, you know, I think he can be an effective regular season player. I just don't know if he's got the size to guard the types of players he's going to need to guard in, in the playoffs um, because he's probably going to have to handle a shooting guard most nights. And I think against the Warriors, for example, um, he just had a really hard time with that because he's just not physically big enough to really, you know, be an impactful defender. Yeah. Um, the last one for the Spurs, uh, Kyle Anderson, who's just one of my guilty pleasure watches. Do you think he's going to be back? He might be well, someone who could get actual money in this. Well, league. I was gonna—that was gonna be my question to you. Do you think the rest of the league values him like the Spurs would? I mean, does another team look at him and say, like, "Oh, I see how he's going to fit in with us and how he's going to be productive," or, or is it more of like, "Well, the Spurs squeezed like the few drops of production out of this guy. We can't do that." Because um, that's where I sort of lean. I think, um, gosh, he can just look so bad sometimes, so bad. Um, because of his physical limitations. And I just wonder if like, if he's not on a team that is so highly functional and drilled and steeped in just perfect execution, like, is he even, can you play him? 
So I don't know. Do you think? What do you think the league thinks of Kyle Anderson? Like in terms of as a as a potential guy to pursue. I could see it tilting toward the perception that you just laid out. For me, though, I I think that he would just be a, a little above that at least. He can run some pick and roll, which is big. And his defense is just, like you said, he can look bad at points, but he's a lot of cross-position versatility, and there's not really a lot of that, specifically not a lot of that that's young on this market this year. That could help him drive up interest. There's there's something, when you watch him defensively, there's just something very Joe English about him. Uh, it sounds like I'm saying Joe English, Joe Ingles-ish about him. He's really good at anticipating, at using space as a weapon because he has that massive wingspan. So he Yeah, can, he's really long. Yeah, he can do those closeouts and make up ground, and then that allows him to guard those quicker players because he can just leave a little bit of room. And if he's going to give up the mid-range jumper, he's going to give up the mid-range jumper. But this this market just makes everything so weird. I, I'm, like, so hesitant to make any predictions. He's probably back. I just I think he's the one guy when you look at it, maybe even more so than than Danny Green, if only because uh, Kyle Anderson is exponentially younger. He's not going to turn twenty five until the end of September, whereas Danny Green's about to turn thirty one. He would be the biggest flight risk to me. Yeah, well, here's the thing, because uh, I, I was looking up how old he was as you were talking, and but you and you told me before I got there. Um, I mean, athletically, like you know. I you see conflicting reports on this, but it really seems like a player's athletic just run and jump peak is like 23, 22, 23, 24. And so he is now moving beyond that stage. And so what does a what is what does Kyle Anderson diminishing athlete look like oh, in gosh. terms of like his ability to compete with world class run and jump athletes? So I would have some concerns about that because length really can only make up for so much unless you sort of move him up a position and he always is guarding bigger guys. So it, that would be a concern, but I, I'm with you. I think he's back. And, but my reasoning is more just like, I'm not sure other teams see a way for this really strange skill set to fit. If he was a better three point shooter, it would probably be that, an easier path towards that's, that's, that's the difference. A hundred percent. That's the difference. Um, that would do it with the Spurs. Uh, let's move on to Washington who just lost before we recorded this. Uh, they lose game six. They were leading by as many as 12. They looked like they, they couldn't really do anything in the fourth quarter. The Raptors are fantastic, by the way. I love that Kyle Lowry is still the dude's over 30 and he's just, he's diving on the ground for loose balls. I, I love Kyle Lowry. He's the Raptors best player. And I, I also love when people get mad when someone says that. Uh, Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. uh, He is, he is a, yeah. Anyway, I agree. Uh, So the, the wizards it's, they're in one of the worst financial positions imaginable it's gonna assuming jason smith and jody meeks opt into the last year of their deals which why wouldn't they right they are when you factor in their first round pick hold they're gonna be right up against the tax they'll be past it the 123 million dollar threshold it's it's only by like five or six million or so when you look at just leaving the roster alone and you can shed that maybe you stretch jason smith maybe you could grease the wheels of a trade or just something but that's not including a new contract for mike scott who is really good for them this year i don't know what they do it's just and are they even going to be willing to use the taxpayer mid-level that could be a valuable chip in this year's market but are they going to be willing to spend it on a team that just really hasn't delivered and now you have to start reconciling your future with john wall's extension kicking in not next year but but the year after it do you think it's time to break this team up in the sense, I won't even dance around it, is it time to bust up their bunny quotes big three? 
Yeah, so my my question to you, the first thing I was going to say was who you trading? Because that's the only way forward, um, unless you want to have another season like this one, basically. Um, and like, I, I think, frankly, we are, let's see, it kicks in 2019, 20. So we are, uh, you know, a year and a half or less away from John Wall being the worst contract in the NBA. Um, because he's going to make 37, almost $38 million, um, in 1920. And point guards who can't shoot, who depend on athleticism, who have had their knees operated on a billion times, um, do not tend to age well. So, I mean, if it, I mean, honestly, if I could trade John Wall, um, I would do it just because I want, I don't want that contract on my books. And I think they played well enough. The, The debate was, Interesting for a while about are they better or not without him. I think they're probably better with him, but they're not markedly better. And financially, they're markedly worse. So I think Wall's the guy you try to move if you can. I don't think there's going to be any takers for him. Um, but I would have said that about Blake Griffin, too. So, yeah, yeah I think <laughs> I think you got to bust it up. I, I don't know how you do it. Um, I, I just I you probably you've got to trade one of your guys you, you would less like to trade. So maybe that's Beal. Maybe that's Porter. Um, but neither of their contracts are, are real peaches either. So um, I think you've got to do something. You've got to move one of those guys, free up space, so you have some kind of bench, some kind of flexibility going forward, and not a setup where you're paying, you know, four or five guys, you know, 13, 14 million plus or or much more, and then a bunch of trash. Like, you just can't – that's not going to work. Yeah, I'm with you on everything you said. I would trade Beal. Wall would be my pick. He might have the worst contract in the league now. Um, I think he does. Yeah, he's so. There's that. I don't even. I'm. I was trying to think of teams that would go for him in a previous podcast. I came up with perhaps the Phoenix Suns would be desperate enough to do it to get that other star blood in there, and then you know you have him under contract. It's not a Kawhi Leonard or Kyrie Irving situation where you have to worry about them leaving in free agency. He's yours all of a sudden. And if you know, maybe you could do some things where you're willing to take back Jan Mahimi, or if you're willing to trade Josh Jackson and this year's first round pick in a deal for him. Uh, I laid out a complicated three teamer that I'm not going to get into, but it, that might be a team, but he's owed so much money. No one wants to pay a 32 year old John wall, almost $47 million. Uh, right. Be because the final year of his deal. Well, that's an interesting spot because, you know, normally you'd say, well, he's nowhere near their like their age window, you know, because the Suns are just at the very bottom. And, and you know, if they're ever going to be good, it's going to be on the strength of a bunch of guys who are either not on the team yet or are in their early 20s. Um, but you're like, well, screw it. Wall's under contract for a half decade, so he'll be here like he's going to be part of it. He may not be in the same age band. But but the thing about um, the thing about about moving him is that like i just don't i don't so then what are you gonna do uh, just trying to sort of see this from the wizard's perspective of like what are you without john wall um you're really like yeah you you freed up a bunch of money but like you 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 now are depending on beal and porter to be your two best players because you're not going to be able to get another big max guy in there um, at least unless you clear a bunch of stuff off or you're looking in, in, towards 2020. So it's it's really difficult. Um, and they've 100% done this to themselves by, you know, just just throwing out these huge deals to guys or in, I guess, Porter's case, matching the, the offer sheet he signed, um, which now I think they'd probably t- they'd like to have that one back. Really? See, I'm I th- part of the reason I would trade Beal, I recognize one there are, and we saw it for a tick in the Raptors series, 
John Wall can take over games in ways that neither Bradley Beal or Otto Porter can. And so when you're looking True. specifically at Beal and Wall, that's the argument for Wall there. Uh, but his contract, he's making basically twice as much as Bradley Beal starting after next year. That's just absurd. But Porter's too valuable to them. He's that there's value to me in universal fits, and he's one of those because he's a pretty good defenser. Uh, a defenser. He's a pretty good defender. <laughs> okay, rebounder. He's just this lights out knockdown shooter when he's healthy. He's a pretty good cutter too. I, I, someone else was going to give him that contract in 2016. We don't know if someone else was going to give Wall a max deal when he hit free agency. Oh yeah. Oh well, I want all those deals back if I'm Washington. First of all, but I, so <laughs> to your point about Porter. Um, I mean, it, how much better is he than Danny Green or a Danny Green type? Like Porter's one of those guys where like he's very good, but there are guys out there that can do 80, 90 percent of what he does for a third of the cost. Um, and so I guess if you knew that you're going to offer Wall this gargantuan contract, then I and you knew it in advance, which you had to have, you've got to start thinking like, well, we can't give a port an auto porter this much money or we can't match that deal because we're going to need to find you know the poor man's version of auto porter otherwise if we pay auto porter and we pay wall and we know we're going to pay beal we're already paying beal like there's just no room to move so i mean port wall is a guy that you cannot replace at like a lower cost because of what like what you said like he is a transcendent player when he's right um so you have to pay for that um, he's not going to continue to be that. But Porter's a guy that, while really good, I think you can get a reasonable facsimile of for a lot less. Um, so that's kind of my thinking on that. Here would be my counterpoint to that. I actually, so I agree, and that's a good way to put it because if you're the Wizards, you could go out there and this is, he's not the defender that Otto Porter is, but he's done okay against some bigger guys. You could go out and get Joe Harris, who was good yeah. on pump and drives this year, who was a really good three point shooter, and you could throw, so I get that. For me, though, with Beal, and when you look at Wall, because I'm, maybe I'm focused too much on the fact that they have this Wall contract on the books. They're probably not going to be able to move it. Although, like you said, we thought the same thing about Blake Griffin. There's a Russell Westbrook element to him where if you just surround Wall with proven shooters, that the offense will hum on its own. And maybe he won't take as many mid-range jumpers that way. And Bradley Beal's a proven shooter, but he's also making $20-plus million a year. And the... The additional benefit of him is, yes, he can create his own shot. He can kind of run the offense on his own. But you can replace his spot-up shooting. And then maybe Otto Porter's ready for a more expansive offensive role. We haven't seen it because the Wizards don't have the leeway to experiment in that regard. And when you look at what Porter does on defense compared to Beal, it's just it's not really – it's not a hard decision for me. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting about um, the Wizards is that, like, their, their half-court offense, I think particularly in the playoffs, I'll, I won't get the stat right, but it's, it's been pretty shitty. And, like, they are always a team that um, if they're not getting buckets in transition, they struggle to score. So I don't know how much – I mean, you. but then you flash in your head the John Wall just hitting weak side corner three-point shooters eight, ten times a game, and you're like, why isn't that offense just perfect every time? Um, I think that one thing that they really do need, and maybe this is something they can more realistically address, is a role guy that you can just throw a lob up to. Um, and and Gortat is not that guy. There's, does, there's no vertical spacing there. Um, there have been seasons where he's been an awesome pick-and-roll scorer. It's really efficient. But I, I think what would help them a lot is someone that um, you really have to sink to when when you're playing pick-and-roll defense against John Wall and a big guy. Because Mahinmi's not that. Gortat's not that. 
Um, it's kind of interesting when they played Morris at center sparingly because he can do a little more of that, um, but he's not the answer there. So maybe center is where they need to really look for something. If that Mike Scott could end up being a killer loss for them because I'm assuming he'll get more than the minimum this year, even in the, the way the market's shaping out. And he was big for them. The I did not like watching Markeith Morris and Mike Scott play together. They were a disaster, but he, to me, was very clearly a better fit for the most part than Markeith Morris is. Yeah, well, I mean... Scott is a guy. If if you told me Mike Scott was going to Miami and he was going to oh, get God. down to like four percent body fat and just do a James Johnson, except be like a more of a scoring mentality guy, like I would buy all the Mike Scott stock. But I feel like um, he's just so hit or miss. I mean, he's basically out of the league for a decent amount of time. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I definitely if if you told me that he was going to give the Wizards what he gave them in in the playoffs, um, that would hurt them. But I'm not totally sold. He's going to be like this is this is who he would be if he were back for you know on a new deal with them. Give him to Boston at part of the taxpayers' mid level. That would be an interesting fit for him. Yeah. So for the Wizards to wrap them up, do you find it more likely that they'll try and make smaller moves on the margins and just run it back? with the same core, do you think that maybe instead they'll try and use Marcin Gortat, Markeith Morris, their other expiring deals with Smith and Meeks to possibly take back, I don't want to say necessarily bad salary, but someone who just might be able to help them and then really double down on this core? Or do you think they'll ultimately trade a member of their, again, bunny quotes, big three? I think it's unlikely that the that breaking it up even though we spent all this time talking about that that being what they should do i, I don't think that's going to happen just because it's so hard to, to do that just mechanically um and and i think too you've sort of got some built-in excuses wall missed some time um the raptors are really good so there's really no shame in in losing in six or whatever um i think they can talk themselves into this core you know that like you say the, the bunny quotes big three being like viable um, and certainly it's a bad look to invest all this money and then just be like, nope, this isn't going to work, you know, within a short amount of time. So I think it is more realistic and more likely that they'll kind of mess around on the margins and, and see what they can do. I'm inclined to agree with you there. And they run into the interesting problem like the Blazers did or will with you, you're not going to move Damian Lillard because you actually he's he is your franchise. John Wall, it's different because his contract isn't that great. But if you're not going to move him, Bradley Beal's not. It's like that C.J. McCollum factor. What is he actually going to get you if you try, try and change him out for spare parts? It's not going to be that much. Yeah, that's a good point. Did, just out of curiosity, did you guys think that uh, that the Blazers would try to move McCollum? No. I, maybe the, I, I mean, they have to kick around the tires on that. I was reading something, though, a few weeks ago that basically said that McCollum is Olshie's guy because he he wasn't really responsible for Lillard. He kind of came in late during that, I believe. And I, I would need to double check that. This is now the second time I'm mentioning it, so maybe I should have uh, checked it already. I think that's actually right. So he has some s- sort of loyalty to McCollum, and yeah. I thinking about it more. I just what do you get for CJ McCollum? He's not because there's no team that's going to be able to afford to take on Evan Turner's contract in addition to CJ McCollum, and he's not he he's not an all star. His defense is still not good. He's not this exceptional playmaker. He's super smooth on the offensive end. Don't get me wrong. But what are you actually getting for him? This isn't a, you know, this isn't a Kyrie Irving situation. Maybe if you were trading Damian Lillard, that's the type of return you could get. But you don't have the Cavaliers. It's not working out for them, obviously. But they had LeBron James, so you talk yourself into getting those ancillary devices like Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas yeah. and those guys. You can't do that if CJ McCollum is going to be your best player after a trade. 
Yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know if Olshay should have much job security, honestly. I mean, the Turner contract was just crippling, and the whole Alan Crabb situation, they, I mean, anytime you have to just give a guy away after matching a, an offer sheet on him, like, a year ago, like, what are you doing? Do, do you not have any forecasters that are telling you that you're just hamstringing your your entire organization like i i mean the the turner contract is unforgivable if they max out if they give nurkic anything you know close to the max or or i don't know if if they match a big offer for nurkic i, I think like olshay is just i i don't know what he's thinking yeah, luckily i don't think they'll have to worry about a max uh, like a big offer for nurkic the, the other thing is is don't it, the way if you're going to keep stats which i think they should uh agree oh the one that should be on the hook i think they recently extended him so maybe that's the politics there and it's easier to get rid of stats and blah 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 blah. but yeah uh, well and if you get rid of olshay you're going to get rid of the coach too because the new guy's going to want to hire his own coach so like you can't really it'd be it'd be shocking that's if true. that's the way it went that's true um but if so if stats is going to be there you don't need this you don't need to pay a big man a lot of money. It's just, it's statistically proven. Ben Falk at Cleaning the Glass wrote about it, and Nurkic was exposed in the series against the Pelicans. I get not every team has Anthony Davis, but there are a bunch of teams now that have more mobile centers, and he's not the guy that's going to help you against them. Agree. Um, right. That was interesting. I wanted to go to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and we ended up with the Portland Trailblazers for a minute. So you're <laughs> welcome, Portland fans, or we're sorry, Portland fans. Minnesota, just, I, I'm not sure I could be lower on the future of a team that has arguably two top 20 guys and at least one top 10 guy in Jimmy Butler. I don't know what... They, there's no path to cap space for them. There's 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 none. They have the non-guaranteed deal on Cole Aldrich. If they're lucky... I shouldn't say lucky. They should be able to access the full MLE, $8.6 million about this year, without having to worry about hitting the tax. Uh, and there again, there will be value in that this summer. But I, you just you look at this Russell. That Andrew Wiggins contract looked terrible. Now um, I don't know that Jeff Teague deal doesn't look too shiny. He's fine. That's like our motto for Jeff Teague on the podcast. Is he's fine? <laughs> That's uh, a perfect motto for Jeff Teague. Gorgie J is why did you? And because this is Tibbs, he's president. He's why did you sign him to that extension? Why? It's I just. Because you don't really play him or rely on him in any way. And then you went, and that very next summer, you gave Taj Gibson $14 million a year. Yes, just over two years, but I, I cannot be, again, I don't think I could be lower on their future. Uh, do you, is there, I mean, I look at me, I'm stuttering. What do you make <laughs> of, of the Timberwolves? Oh, I feel like every one of these, well, certainly the last couple we've talked about, um, feel stuck. They feel really stuck. And, and, and it, the problem is twofold to me. Um, one is just like you've mentioned, there's just no wiggle room here. Um, financially because you signed all these guys to dubious contracts. Um, but then the other problem is, you know, and this was true for most of this year. I really think that, you know, Tom Thibodeau, in addition to being a bad executive, um, He's not someone that I think his and this is going to really blow your doors off. No one else has ever said this. He's not someone that I think like trusts his bench guys enough to to <laughs> excel. Like I think Tyus Jones should have been playing a lot, and he just I mean it, the on off stuff for him is insane. I think Nemanja Bjelica, if you had developed him all year, and and maybe Timberwolves fans will come back at me and say he's just not this type of guy. Um, but Bielitsa was someone that like really should have mattered against the Rockets. He really should have mattered because he can space the floor and he can like make he can dribble the ball and make a decision. Um, but he just couldn't get on the court. Um, and Jamal Crawford, I think, shouldn't play over either of those guys. But he's going to pick up that player option. I have to assume. 
um, and continue to play a bunch. And God, God knows what's going to happen with Derrick Rose because if there's a team that's willing to get stupid about him and give him whatever he's exception, getting that MLE, he's getting that MLE. <laughs> um, it's going to be the Timberwolves. So, so yeah, I think that they are mismanaged, and I think uh, mismanaged in two senses: one, financially, and two, in terms of how the personnel is deployed. So, um, it's really shitty that a player as talented as Carl Anthony Towns and now and in the future and a player as talented as Jimmy Butler sort of have to try to operate in, in the middle of this. Yeah, and they the, the only thing it's it's funny how now people are getting cute I want to say by saying Carl Anthony Towns isn't special because the Timberwolves don't know how to use him. I, they're talking about how he isn't in the post enough and doesn't have that go get it attitude. Perhaps that's accurate to some extent, but when you look at the amount of time he diverts to the corner or just the amount of time he spends outside of the paint beyond the arc, it seems like coaching, does it not? I agree. I and, agree. And I, he's their I, best I read shooter that at this point too, so that would make sense. This is the thing. So I, I agree because at first I was like, why? I was I was doing the old man thing of like, demand the ball, like go get it, you know, <laughs> exert your will. Like, the, you know, I was like on Inside the NBA, just like spouting platitude type stuff. But um I agree. I think that was a schematic decision um, to put him in the corner. But here's the effing problem with with uh, what the whole thing with the Timberwolves. You've got a center that can shoot 40% on high volume from three, and you took fewer threes than anyone in the league. This is inexcusable. I don't understand how you can have a player as talented as Towns who can stretch a center out to the three-point line, and if they run at him, he will drive around them and dunk. Or you can have him shoot eight, nine, ten threes a game, whatever you want. He can do Brooklyn Nets, Brooke Lopez impressions, um, and you just aren't taking threes as a team. So I have zero confidence that even if they miraculously like change their financial future, that Thibodeau is going to deploy these guys in a way that maximizes their talent. I just I'm I'm so down on almost everything about how this team is run. Well, that's what, and it's so my. I would say they need shooting, and I, I mentioned Joe Harris before. That might be that's a guy that they can afford. Um, there will be other potentially cheap shooters on the market. They're not going to be able to poach someone like Trevor Reza. Maybe Danny Green, if he leaves San Antonio at the MLE, he'd be good for them. But can you trust Thibodeau to play them? Because it's obvious to us. And you look at you talk about the regular season stats. It's why I was almost surprised that they won a game against the Rockets. The Rockets had the highest three point attempt rate in the league. The Timberwolves had the lowest, and then you just—if you look at the five-game series specifically—the Timberwolves made more three-pointers per 100 possessions than I thought they would. Nine point three. The Rockets still made fifteen point four per 100. So you're essentially just—you're starting the game off in that, or that's an 18-point deficit just there per 100 possessions. That's not going to work in no. today's NBA. And so you say if they go out and get shooters, maybe there is something, and and there is truth to that. But will Thibodeau use them? Because you look at. The most used lineup in the league this year uh, in terms of possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass, was Charlotte. Kemba Walker, Batum, Kid Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, Dwight Howard. The second most used, most played uh, lineup in the league was Minnesota's starting lineup of Teague, Wiggins, Butler, Gibson, Towns. They played only they played 2,260 total possessions, which is only 13 fewer than... Uh, that starting lineup in Charlotte did. And to be able to say that when Jimmy Butler missed 23 games, and you <laughs> right. also had Teague miss 12, and I, I don't think there was overlap there at all in their injuries, that's pathetic. He's yeah. not a guy that's going to go to his bench. So you say this, go out and get shooters. Will he even use them? Does it that's matter? That's the thing. 
That's the thing. Go out, yeah. So you say, well, they need depth. Okay, go out and get depth. Well, he's just not going to play him. They, he, they need shooters. Okay, go out and get. So say they get three awesome three point shooters. The team doesn't fucking shoot threes. Like that's the problem. There there are decent shooters on this team, but like they just don't shoot it. I mean, you could construct really good spacing. I think if if you've got Teague, Butler, Wiggins, Towns, that's four guys that I mean, Butler's probably the least of them that you've got to at least account for. Like you've got to space them, and you could throw a fifth guy out there. Bielita is a floor space. Like that's his offensive role, really, or that's what it ought to be. Um, even if it's like as an up fake and drive guy, like they've had the personnel to put good shooting lineups on the floor, and it's just, it's just they just don't operate that way. They need Andrew Wiggins. They need him to be more efficient too. If he's going to have a, it should be an easier role. But I, when you're used to having the ball in your hands, that simplicity is almost counterproductive or disingenuous. He just looks so uncomfortable, especially if you're not going to run him. Um, off a ton of screens and have him make more beelines towards the basket. I, I and the last question with this team then would be one of their better shooters, Bielitsa, is a restricted free agent. Do you think he's back? I don't know. Maybe they've depressed his value enough that uh, nobody's nobody's going to go like here's the mid level um, or you know something something like that. Um, I gosh, if I'm him, I don't think I want to be back. First of all. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess he's gone. I'll just, I mean, I just, it just feels like Minnesota's going to look at him and be like, well, he didn't help us. And he's not that young. And so why do we want him back? And when but you're paying, you're already paying Jang and you have, you're paying Gibson. And maybe, maybe they could get, could they get weird and play Wiggins at the four, maybe like Towns and Wiggins as you're, as you're just, just to try it. I, I don't, I don't, that might be something that's interesting. Do you think they're going to give Towns an extension? It's not, do I think he's going to leave, but. Their cap situation is such that you look at 2019, if Jimmy Butler leaves, which I don't know why he'd stay if this is the Timberwolves team that he's still on. Um, I guess maybe, I, you know, if I'm the next team after Jimmy Butler spent another t- two additional years under Tibbs, I don't know if I want a part of his next contract. So oh, no way. Like, no way. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be washed after this. I mean, like he's, yeah, there's no way I want any of that. I think, so So Wiggins deal was four years, right? They didn't DPE him. Um, no, so five, five and one. He did. About, yeah. Oh, that's right. Because the basketball insiders uh, chart only goes to twenty one, twenty two right now, so I can't see that fifth year. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, what a, the the value's always been weird. Um, I think it's like five and one fifty four, basically. What a dumb contract. What a hey, dumb Glenn contract. Taylor yeah, made him promise that he would get better at basketball. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> that's you're. No, I, it's making me think of when I have my four year old promise me things. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure, and he doesn't remember five minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would offer. I, I would do whatever I could to lock down Towns. I'm not persuaded um, based on this postseason that like he's going to be anything less than like a franchise cornerstone. So I, I'm I'm locking him up as soon as I can for what it whatever it takes. Honestly, like I just think you can't let a talent like that have any second thoughts about like what his position in the franchise is and it's not a Przingis situation where he's been injured or in the Knicks' case they have that clear path to flexibility in 2019 so you might as well delay the huge cap hold they're better off you don't want him to get frustrated and be tempted to no one ever does this really unless you're greg monroe you don't want to tempt him to accept a qualifying offer. It's just, you don't. I don't know that you have the goodwill right now. Maybe you do in that confidence. It'll, but it's Tibbs, so I don't know what he's. Yeah, yeah that's a that's throws a real wrench in the works. Can we? I mean, Stan Van Gundy. Um, I think it's it's Stan Van and Tibbs are the only coach coach head personnel guys left, right? And Van Gundy kind of got demoted this past season. I think that's right, right? Yeah. 
So Tibbs well, has to be the actually, last. Wait, Van Gundy hasn't been demoted just yet. We're like kind of waiting on it. Well, but they've got who's the agent they've got that were is yeah. Arm it was Talent he was unofficially demoted maybe, but at the same time that that Blake Griffin deal yeah had, like, <laughs> that reeked of Stan Van. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I just want to say that Tibbs Tibbs needs to be the last guy ever, right? That has that gets this kind of power. This, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen enough. Like, there's there is no scenario in the future. There's no there's no guy out there. Like, if Brett, if the Celtics offered this to Brad Stevens, I would be like, nope, Brad Stevens cannot handle this. Steve Kerr, nope. Like, there's just there's no one out there that should ever have this dual position ever again. I think we've the verdict is is, is in on we this need, now. You know what we really need in the NBA? You need more clarification on what the roles are because Greg Popovich is the team president of the Spurs, but you yeah. know that RC Buford's primarily responsible for what happens and that's fine if president's just going to be it's like that producer credit that actors get when a show gets syndicated basically that right. they're on so they get more money fine like fine if they if coaches yeah. good for them get all give all the money you want to coaches they work their asses off most of them give them money that it, it should not actually amount to anything i'm totally I'm, I'm with you there and there just needs to be more of a clear-cut thing because Greg Popovich is the president of the Spurs, but I don't think that, I mean, maybe he, I'm sure he has a huge say, which is maybe someone like that, it's okay to get their input, but I would think that Buford's making the final calls. And yet then you go to Toronto where your jury was just promoted to president recently. It's just like, what, what the hell do these titles mean? Like, let's have some type of clear hierarchy that might allow for you to give these guys kind of those do nothing or these, they call them no show roles, no show roles in Hollywood. I think that's like fine. That's fine. But you're right. It shouldn't be, there should be no substance to it. No. And this is the problem is Tibbs has all that power. And so when you talk about like, well, how do you fix the Timberwolves? You'd say like, well, I think I probably want someone else making decisions. Like, well, that's the one thing you're not going to get for quite a while. It's, and it's interesting because everyone was, I can't remember if I actually criticized or liked the Tibbs hire in Minnesota. I, I probably said I'm pretty something. sure I liked it. I, I assume I liked it. They um, it what I've seen happen to him in Minnesota has made me appreciate a guy like Steve Clifford a lot more, who is no longer yeah. employed, just because he adapted in Charlotte a lot better than Tibbs ever had. When you look at how his offense changed during his half decade there, that would be a coach that I think might actually be good for a Timberwolves team or. Let's move over. Like you talk about the Suns, they're going to interview Tib. Uh, excuse me, if it was they interviewed Clifford, you can see him taking over a young team and it being okay. Whereas Tibbs, it's just it's clearly I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, Tibbs is. I mean, it's it's not uncommon, you know, in just life in general. Like he's kind of a victim of his own success. Like he did a thing that worked. The circumstances it, that led to it working changed, and he continued to do it. Like the rules changed, defenses changed, the offensive schemes got smarter, the the league, you know, kind of mathed up and changed how it played on offense, and he just didn't. Um, and so it's got to be hard, just from, from like a psychological perspective, to be like, well, I know this thing worked, um, but I'm going to scrap it. Like I sort of sympathize with him in that sense because sort of your world would turn upside down if you. And he's a rigid guy anyway. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not going to work unless he changes and I don't think he's going to change. So, you know, sorry, Timberwolves. <laughs> now I know you said we're at the time where you said you had to get out of here. Do you have time to do the Miami heat? Our last team really quick. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, I, okay. Miami heat. What are you, I'm just, my one line take would be they're pretty much going to look basically the same next year. Yeah, unless they can move Whiteside, which are their rumblings. Um, but who on earth wants, uh, you know, a center that is way older than you think, that doesn't try hard all the time, that is just a 
there's a giant target on him for every opponent's pick and roll. Um, but yeah, they 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 have like a lot of good players, and I think there's a great chance they'll be in the playoffs again next year and could win 45 games um, with roughly the same roster. Um, but yeah, like you know, they, they I think they'll probably lose Wayne Ellington because I think he's someone wow. that as an unrestricted free agent should get paid. Don't you? I mean, like I think he's a legit floor spacer that can make and take a bunch of really difficult threes. Like, I don't know who shot more threes on the move, like leaning 45 degrees to the side than he did. In NBA um, history, probably no one. <laughs> like he, I mean, his threes were degree of difficulty was just off the charts, but like, you know, um, it, it's, it's tough. Tyler Johnson's going to make 19 million bucks next year. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, you've got Shout all out these to guys, the Brooklyn Nets for that contract, dude, the Brooklyn Nets. I like almost everything Brooklyn does, including just the, just like, all right, we're going to screw you. We kind of want Tyler Johnson, but sort of don't really care, but you're going to pay him this stupid con. Like there's, I, I like how they operate. I, I like everything about what Brooklyn does. They need to um, do that to, Zach Levine this summer. The Nets aren't yes. there. They can't, first of all, it'd be stupid to give him max. I don't think Chicago's dumb enough to, to max. Maybe they are. Maybe they're bullish. I don't know. He, he was the centerpiece of the Butler trade at the time. Yep. But they can, yep. they're going to basically sleepwalk their way to more than 15.3. Um, I have them at when accounting for holds and everything. And they could easily get a little bit more. If you throw Zach Levine $18 million a year, that's just enough money where it screws the Bulls, but it's not too much where you would think that the Bulls would just walk away. That that would be hysterical to me. Maybe even do that to Jabari, although the Bucks are probably more confident in giving him 15 or 18 than anyone should be giving Zach Levine 15 or 18. That Bucks postmortem is going to be interesting, by the way. Um, yeah, Thon Maker's making it more difficult, too, by the game. Ran- yeah, that's true. The random Thon Maker quote of all the players who've contested at least 50 shots at the rim during the playoffs, he leads the league in defensive field goal percentage right now for the playoffs. I just, I just, it's just like I look, I saw that before, and it's ingrained in my head. I'm not even looking at it right now. Just, the Bucks are going to be looking at Parker's uneven performances, but um, they're not really the Heat. Although they are a team that some people think might be the one to make a play for Whiteside, unless Miami's uh, going to eat Delavadova and Henson, I just I don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it either, and I don't think you want to introduce. Well, it'll depend on who the coach is because it's not going to be Joe Prunty. Uh, I, 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 we're talking what happens, about that, what happens though if the Bucks just what if they win Game Seven? And then you go into the next round, you beat the six. What happens if you make the Eastern Conference Finals? I still think you go try to hire Mike Budenholzer or somebody. Like, I just, I don't. The, the more I, you I win, the, the less likely it is that Mike Budenholzer or David Fisdale is available. Maybe that's they true, wait. That's true. Maybe they wait to get the interview with them. Well, I think everybody, every coach is waiting until they see what the Buck, because the Buck situation is obviously the best. Um, I think every coach is going to wait. To, to see who can where the where the dominoes fall after that but back to the back to the heat um yeah i don't know like i think it, it, we kind of knew this was coming right this situation because when they signed johnson and waiters and olenic and it, to these like oh okay that's you know reasonable deals reasonable four-year deals for between you know 10 and like 14 million for you know whatever and they all escalate a little bit but it's like yeah you're kind of locking into this these guys are tradable theoretically um but you know, you're putting a cap on like how good you can be. Um, so I don't really know what Miami can do. Um, if Wade comes back, I don't know what they would give him. Is he going to be a minimum guy or are they going to give For him sure. like a nice, be, right? well, I, yeah. And then, you know, he'll ma- sort of, uh, magically become like, uh, uh, the manager of, of like, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> a carnival cruise ship or something. It's like, hey, you get to keep this after you retire. They'll be they'll they'll do they'll do something on the side. But yeah, I I, I don't know how they get better, um, especially if they're going to have to contend with losing Ellington potentially. Um, and, may- I, I, and maybe they were gearing up for life without him just because it seemed like Spo was trying way too hard to make those three non-shooter lineups work. Where you had. Uh, what was it, Wade? And I know Winslow hit his threes over the second half of the year or for most of the year, but he's not a high-volume guy. And you had Whiteside on the floor at the same time, or it was Adebayo. You just you have those three guys, and they're, it's essentially at, – at the, most, the most I could say about them in a good light would be three unproven shooters, but it's, it's three non-shooters. And yeah. maybe they're trying to get – I don't know how you – to me, I think he's back. You have his early bird. I think you have his early bird rights, or he's not full bird, is he? I think he's early bird. Um, it's – how do you get rid of him when you don't really have that other proven floor spacer? I, I just well, what don't. do you what do you pay him? What do you think like his market? What what is the Wayne Ellington market rate right now? Do you think am I being am I selling him short by saying taxpayer mid level at five and a half? About I mean that's less than he made last year. Um, but but I guess he's also have... thirty, isn't he? He's, he's like he's like pretty old too. He's just yeah yeah. I don't know. I I feel like. The, the 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 market being so weird this year is just just makes everything strange. But like, I mean, if this was like, what was the ridiculous summer twenty fifteen when Batum and everybody got a hundred million dollar contract twenty sixteen twenty sixteen feel like forever ago though. Feels it like it, it really does. It all runs together. Um, like Ellington would have got, I mean, like four for fifty two or something that summer if he was coming off this year. Um, I I don't know. I, so let's say he's back. I mean, one thing you made me think of, I was I was down on these guys saying, like, I don't see how they get better. Um, if Winslow adds volume, I think suddenly he is like, you know, there, there's borderline star potential, I think, in Winslow still, if he takes that leap um, as just a three-point shooter. Like, if he could shoot six, seven a game um, and make like 36%, 37%, I'm kind of in on him as someone who should definitely start and is a huge piece. And then I like Autobio a lot. So maybe you, you just sort of price in some organic growth and um, that prevents you from overspending on Ellington. But if you're telling me I can get him at 5.6, um, well, then that's different. Um, but I would, I would like to think that there will be a decent market for him um, and or you know he'll do something like I think might happen with a lot of veterans this summer is they'll realize the money's not out there. They're going to take a below market deal and play for a contender and then up their value in like big stage minutes and then get back into onto the market in, in 19. Um, so I think that is something you could potentially see from Ellington or other guys like Danny Green or, or whatever. Do you know where I would look? Well, the th- I guess the question, is there a little bit of the Spurs with Kyle Anderson element to Ellington where, yes, he's hitting these ridiculously difficult threes, but can you replicate that model on another team or can you at least instill that same trigger happy mindset in him i don't know if you yeah. listen to rob mahoney's breakaway pod for si.com did this whole thing on wade ellington on how the heat had to drill into him no hesitation you need to shoot and he was literally benched if he took a dribble or, or tried to pass he's kind of like cj miles cj miles doesn't i mean every time he touches it for the for the raptors it's it's out of his hands i mean you could put him on the sixers because all those guys do is run off ridiculous pin downs and shoot like leaning fading threes like that that suddenly that was their whole offense uh in, in the first round um yeah. i don't know i i think increasingly you're gonna see offenses not necessarily built around but um that heavily feature guys like ellington that just just catch the ball at these crazy angles on dead sprints and fire threes. Cause like if you make 33% of those, that's a good shot, you know? 
Um, I, I think he's. I think as the league continues to change offensively, um, I think you could replicate what what Miami did with him. And I think you'll see a lot of other teams try this with with uh, like Ellington types to the extent that exists. It's. I think it's only going to get more common. Him in New Orleans would be interesting, particularly if they let Boogie go too. Yeah, I would like it there. I'd like any kind of shooting there or any kind of guards <laughs> with decent size that can shoot it. I, I, I'm all in on that for the Pels. Imagine if he went to Minnesota and you just saw his value crater because Tibbs wouldn't have a move at all. They'd have him stand yeah. in the corner and never be open. Yeah, he would bench him um, for missing, for failing to ice a pick and roll, and then he would average two three-point attempts per game, and um, he would just be useless. That That's what happened. That, shooters go to Minnesota to die, I think, needs to be like their uh, next tagline. Who is the most, and this will be the last question on the Heat, who is the, they're going to make a trade, I think it's safe to say. Who's the most likely player to be traded? Oh, man. They would well, like it to be the, Deion Waiters. It will yeah, they would be. love it to be Deion Waiters. Um, I mean, like, the easiest guy to trade is the guy you should least want to trade, right? So, I mean, like, uh, like Olenek is very, Olenek's contract's really palatable. I mean, he could play starting center for a lot of teams, Um and so he would be the easiest, I would, eh, probably the easiest to trade of those guys. Um, I don't know. I, that's that's really tough. Because if you trade waiters, you're going to have to sweeten it, um, even though he's not making a ton. Uh, gosh, what are my choices? Can't trade Whiteside. Yeah, you know what? I think Whiteside is the most likely to be traded. You think um, they just be moved? I, I, think, I think they just have to. Um, and I think Riley is a... The Heat do things that seem impossible all the time um, in terms of like who they've been able to get and move and things like that. I mean, they traded a zillion firsts for Goran Dragic. Like they, they made it happen. So where there's a will, there's a way. Um, I just I don't think it makes sense to trade any of those. I mean, waiters, sure, but you, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Um, and there's just so much... The Whiteside relationship just seems over, don't you think? Um, I mean, he's he's every other game he's mouthing off about his coach in the media. He's disgruntled. Um, Spo I handled think, that very well during his exit interview. Spo by the Spo way, Spo always handles it well. I think a lot of other coaches. I mean, maybe behind the scenes, I'm sure he's just ripping into him, you know, to his assistants. But like, I don't know. It maybe that's a bold prediction, but I, I think um, it seems almost impossible to trade him. But it seems also really clear that like. They have to do it. They just have to because he's. It's getting to like kind of a toxic level right now. I almost feel like it's going to be Justice Winslow, although I'm not sure how much value he has. Uh, with why would you trade him? Yeah, I, I, am I, how I'm much is he going to cost you in 2019? I'm assuming they're not going to extend him unless he's willing to take far less than his cap hold would be in 2019. That that would. Be, it's like the Kristaps Porzingis situation with the Knicks. It's just that he's injured. But if he's going to say, "Hey, I'll take 50 million dollar a year," yeah, then you extend him. But unless Winslow is going to take like 12, like 4 and 48 or something? I, I don't... Yeah, well, maybe that's the type of thing where to get off Whiteside, you got to throw Winslow in there or, some, or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Heat don't value cap flexibility enough to, to do something that crazy. Um, well, that's I, the other I, part I, of it. It's, you're not slated to have flexibility until 2020 at the earliest. What's the yeah, right. really... So I, yeah, there's so much there. I don't. I kind of uh, feel like Winslow just he might be the means for them to improve. I'd like yeah. maybe partner him with James Johnson, or maybe does he get you off Dion Waiters' contract? Probably not. Do you even view I him in know. that light where he can just be that sweetener as a because he has value to them, especially if he's gonna hit his threes. Yeah, it, I'm just looking at their cap sheet. Like, what is with the Heat and player options? 
I mean, like, does any other team have have? I mean, Johnson's got one in 1920. So does Dragic. So White Whiteside. Yeah, <laughs> and in 2021, James Johnson's got one, and so does Olenek. Um, I hate player options. I don't know why they do that. It's just it, you're you're betting on like getting it wrong almost. Yeah, the Olenek contract is fine to me. The Johnson contract I said was an overpay at the time. It, it might never look bad, but he's going to be 34 at the end of that, it. Yeah, the age thing is a problem on that. Uh, the waiters one is just, I mean, I, good for him for getting paid. I'm all for Bears, but I just, wolf. Um, the last, the last, last question on them because we did this with Ginobili. Dwayne Wade is he retiring or no? Uh, I think he will. I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. Um, just because this, so it just it, it feels to me like he's maybe got like his life seems pretty awesome, right? Like it seems like he's got a good life, and he seems like pretty intelligent, and seems like he has a lot of perspective. And I could see him just being like, well, I don't want to play anywhere else. I could play for the Heat again. We're not going to be that good. Um, or I could just like hang out with my wife in Miami and just have a great life and live on the yacht that Mickey Harrison's going to give me. Um, so I think, I, I, I don't know. It's almost a coin flip, but I, I just kind of feel like maybe he's done. What do you, what do you think? I honestly, I don't have a pulse on him because I agree with everything you just said. At the same time, it didn't feel like this was supposed to be his last season. It almost felt like we were waiting. He was in Cleveland, and then he would just do whatever LeBron James did this summer. And then yet, yeah. he's, he's made it clear that he wouldn't leave Miami uh, in free agency. And why do you want to play out what's left of your career, your 36, on a team that second-round ceiling, maybe? I, I, because nothing, they don't have a ton of upside on this roster. There's Josh Richardson. What is Justice Winslow going to be, the best version of himself? You're paying white side when your best lineups probably need to have Olenek or Adebayo at the five, who Adebayo, by the way, uh, this year had more assists as a rookie than Whiteside did through his first five seasons. In he, NBA, but. <laughs> Adebayo, like, there is there is a future scenario where Adebayo is really, really, really good. If Especially if, and you saw flashes, like you said, of if he can be like an elbow offensive hub, which I think is, is realistic, and then just be a monster, like, athletically on defense. But yeah, um, the Wade thing... He, he definitely he did not look washed um, in this in this series like there were definite moments where he was really productive and dangerous but I don't know how interested he's gonna be in you know coming off the bench and and going through the grind of a regular season just like just for one more crack at you know 25 minutes a game off the bench in a first round series that they're gonna lose again I, I don't know how that's got a lot of appeal more likely to retire though Ginobili or Wade ooh I would pick Wade, and that's as definitive as I can get on the Wade front. More likely to retire. Uh, I think Ginobili is more likely to retire because I'm reverse jinxing the situation. I'm going to continue Good. to tell everyone I talk to that he's done, and then that way he, he, he'll come back. This podcast has been thoroughly depressing because of that. I just I want Ginobili back more than I, – I, I don't remember that I've wanted – it wasn't even like this with Duncan for me. I don't remember wanting a player to retire less – than Manu Ginobili. <laughs> I know it's it's uh, he's my favorite player in the league. I just and he's been forever. I I I just feel like it's over. I hate it. I hate that I feel that way. I, I I'm setting myself up to be um, emotionally uplifted when he does when he sends the tweet that says like one more year or something. Yeah, you know what? I'm going with you. Manu Ginobili is 100 <laughs> percent going to retire. Yep. 
Um, that seems like a good place to stop. We did almost 90 minutes on these future breakdowns for teams that have been eliminated. We even delved into the Blazers a second time. Uh, Grant, thank you so much for being generous, not only with your time now, but for hopping on tonight. Uh, big ups for that. And you had to tackle a couple extra things because the Wizards decided to no-show in the fourth quarter against the Raptors. You need to follow Grant on Twitter. You will not regret it. At GT underscore Hughes. Definitely read his stuff on Bleacher Report, one of my favorite writers to read. Um, He will be back on the pod soon, I'm sure. He is officially now titled Friend of the Pod, Grant Hughes. We also talk outside of the pod too, though, so it's it's not all just this that illusion where your favorite band really doesn't talk outside of of work. (laughs) Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter... I'm at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. If you want to follow NBA Math, our host, uh, at NBA underscore math, definitely follow Andy on Twitter and tell him to feel better because not only is he sick, but as we um, talk about this, the Jazz are surprisingly tied with the Thunder somehow, even though I feel like Utah's played like absolute piss through the game from what I've seen while we've been doing this. You can also follow Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. We will actually be coming to you on a bunch of different mediums starting sometime soon hopefully we've we've heard your feedback and know you want us on google play and spotify uh we should also be up and running on tune in soon we'll be all over the place get excited about that please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on itunes though that's the best way to help the pod at this point um i do not have to give a shout out to you know who because andy's not here but i am going to give a big time massive shout out to who we both believe will still be a spur next season kyle anderson until next time <laughs> lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to stay within budget when making updates to your bathroom we do it right too by offering up to 20 percent off select toilets during the final days of our refresh for less kitchen and bath event Step up your style even more with floor tiles starting at just 49 cents a square foot. For your next bath project, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.